sqpn.com presents The Secrets of Angels and Demons. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Secrets of Angels and Demons. I am Father Roderick. Coming to you from the heart of Rome. And I am on one of those beautiful squares, actually perhaps the most beautiful square here in, uh, in Rome, Piazza Navona. Lots of artists playing music, um, painters trying to sell their pictures. Surrounding the square, this, this long oval square, are many, many good restaurants overpriced of course because it's a top location and in the middle of the square the most important and most impressive monument right in front of the um, twin tower church of saint agnes a huge fountain um, surrounding an obelisk another egyptian obelisk this one has also egyptian uh, engravings and this uh, fountain was built here by um, Bernini and it's called the, Fount the Fountain of the Four Rivers. Um, La Fontana dei Quattro Fiumi. It was built by uh, Bernini between 1647 and 1651 and it is called the, the Fountain of the Four Rivers because um, you see four jets of water coming from uh, from uh, some sort of rocky construction on which you see um, for uh, for persons symbolizing the four um, uh, the, the four big rivers: the Danube, the Nile, the Ganges, and the Rio de la Plata. These rivers represented the four continents of 17th-century Catholicism. Those were the continents where Catholicism had already um, rooted. Now, the basin itself is very much like you see it in the movie, although it does seem a little bit more shallow and you definitely don't see those tubes um, uh, with, with little bubbles of air um, that uh, Langdon uses uh, when um, the, the uh, assassin throws the fourth cardinal upside down into this, uh, into this fountain tied to uh, a very heavy metal construction. He uses those tubes with uh, bubbles of air to, uh, to actually, you know, since he can, cannot lift the cardinal out of the water by himself, he uses those tubes to uh, actually administer some air to the poor cardinal. Well, those tubes were uh, definitely um, put there for the movie and actually I have a suspicion that they recreated part of the fountain because it definitely looks a lot, a lot larger and deeper in, uh, in the movie than it is in reality. However, it's still a very imposing um, uh, monumental fountain, uh, one of the most beautiful fountains of, of Rome. and. Um, as I said, let's just walk around this. Uh, lots of creatures to be seen here in front of me. Um, just swimming in the water is some kind of snake. Um, right underneath the obelisk is, uh, again, uh, the uh, 
emblem, the, the coat of arms of um, the Pope who ordered uh, this um, Four Rivers Mountain. Um, I think it was Pope Innocent X from the Pamphili uh, uh, family. He brought this, uh, this obelisk from the outskirts of Rome um, and ordered uh, uh, th this, this fountain to be, to be put underneath it. Now on top of the obelisk is a, is a, a metal dove in the book. It's not, it's not reprised in the movie, but in the book. Langdon first thinks that's a, that it's a real uh, dove and he throws some coins at it. And then he realizes, wait a second, this is part of the obelisk. Well, if he had been a real expert in, um, in the history of art, then he would have known that the dove was actually the symbol of the family, of the Pamphili family, the emblem of the P Pamphili family. So Langdon uh, is not very aware of that. Now, um, let's uh, walk to the left of this uh, circular fountain. These persons that are seated there are like three times the size of a regular human being, just giants. This is a bearded man and um, he's sitting there. I'm not sure what he's doing. Is as if he is uh, shielding himself from the sun or something like that. And um, on his left below is a, is a lion um, actually trying to drink from the water. And next to that is another huge giant, another bearded man, uh, sitting there quite relaxed on, uh, on a piece of rock. He's got a big pole in his, uh, in his left hand. And on some more snakes coming out of the water is also a palm tree. And there is a lot of speculation uh, about the meaning, the symbolic meaning of all these creatures that you see. Of course, you can ask yourself the question, do they really have a meaning or is it just ornamentation? After all, you know, uh, Bernini was a, a, a guy who loved theatrical effects, he loved special effects, uh, he loved to exaggerate, and so perhaps he just put them in as special effects, who knows? Um, uh, at the other side of the fountain, here is another. Uh, all these, all these guys have uh, long beards, and they're all um, frozen in time, as it were. Uh, this guy is uh, looks as if he's startled as well. He has his left hand raised up to the skies. Um, his uh, his right foot is uh, he takes his right foot out of the water, it seems, and then the fourth person depicted here is uh, is watching towards the the rock the rocky structure underneath the obelisk and um, ah, I don't know it looks as if he's waving at it or something uh, on top of the uh, rock here uh, another very fierce snake mouth open lots of teeth very ugly creature um, and underneath the obelisk on this side not a lion but a big horse galloping or or just i don't know if it's relaxing or well, it seems to be in movement 
um, but the horse is uh, a little bit smaller than the, the giants that are surrounding this fountain. So of course this uh, monument uh, symbolizes the water, the element of water, and that makes the fourth scientific element uh, that together, uh, you know, form the, the foundation, the basis of creation or of, you know, the, the cosmos. And it is uh, unfortunate that this water is, uh, is the, uh, almost the undoing for this fourth cardinal. But thankfully, Robert Langdon jumps, jumps in, manages to uh, administer some air to the poor cardinal, and then some other people jump in as well and uh, help him lift the cardinal out of the water. Just before that, uh, the assassin um, arrived here in a minivan, uh, with his victim, and uh, uh, Langdon was uh, uh, came here with uh, a, a few uh, polizia, so uh, uh, Italian police. And it was kind of funny the way they uh, they, uh, uh, they they brought that to life. At one point, I think they're they're standing at the uh, church of uh, Santa Maria della Vittoria, and then they have this this, this discussion. You know, uh, um, the um, uh, Swiss guards want to bring, uh, or at least the people from the security, from Vatican security, want, want have orders to bring um, Langdon back to uh, to the Vatican. But Langdon is convinced that he has to go to the Piazza Navona, to this fountain. And so he uh, has this small conversation with these Italian police officers. And uh, they don't they don't know what to do. Uh, they're, they're starting to have a discussion amongst each other. And uh, Langdon is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just go, go. This is the right. This is the perfect time to have a long conversation. Let's think about this and try to act like a real cop. And he's just using this kind of American concept of if you were a real man, a real cop, then you would come with me. And of course, these Italians, these Italian uh, police officers, they're like, okay, yes, now, now you push the right button. Uh, <laughs> our egos are triggered exactly the way you wanted it and so they uh, they escort uh, Robert Langdon to the Piazza Navona however uh, when they approach the van Langdon is uh, standing a little bit further away they're both executed by the assassin and um, and again Robert Langdon risks uh, his own life the, the minivan drives off and uh, and Langdon well, you know tries whatever he can to save the Cardinal and fortunately succeeds and so that's kind of a happy ending for this fourth cardinal. So I don't know if there's anything else uh, interesting to say about this uh, beautiful fountain. I, I love this, uh, this Piazza Navona. It's a great place to just stroll around. There's always something to do. I think that this is uh, also called the uh, living room of Rome. And, uh, and that's because of this kind of family atmosphere here. Uh, it's also the presence of all these artists, the painters. Um, there's a very leisurely atmosphere, especially in times like these when temperatures are high and you know it's been a hot day, you've worked hard. I've walked around Rome. I don't know how many miles I've walked to do these, uh, these episodes. But uh, when you stroll around here, you finally calm down and you relax and it's, it's just a lovely place. However, be careful. If you sit down here uh, to eat something or to drink something, the prices are easily three times, four times as high as in the rest of Rome.
because of course uh, this is a five-star location let me see if I've got some more uh, information um, so no one has ever deciphered the meaning of the elements and symbols at the fountain um, there is this uh, Jesuit uh, polymath named Athanasius Kircher um, he was at the time uh, um, Europe's leading Egypt Egyptologist and uh, the Pope asked Kircher to interpret the ancient uh, hieroglyphs on the obelisk however he used uh, scientific knowledge but also a lot of uh, imagination to uh, <laughs> to try to unravel the secrets of this obelisk uh, used uh, Kabbalistic theories etc etc wrote a book about it the Pamphili obelisk yeah not really interesting uh, well of course uh, we don't know exactly whether Galileo had um, contacts with Kircher could be they were both scientists of course but uh, they were working in different fields oh and this is yeah this might be interesting to talk about um, as you might remember from the story uh, Langdon uh, uses a map and uh, put circles in the places uh, in the four places of this path of enlightenment uh, these four locations with Bernini um, artifacts or statues or whatever and uh, and he traces two lines forming a cross which for Langdon is clear proof that Bernini planned this all along and that uh, all the all these monuments were placed there on purpose in the form of a cross indicating uh, the road to uh, enlightenment and giving him the final clue to as to where the location uh, where the the, the antimatter bomb might be located uh, however this theory and it's a very popular one uh, again part of uh, a lot of these kind of semi theories that you find all over the internet or conspiracy theories um, is, is popular but untrue and, and a lot of these theories want you to believe that the obelisks all over the city and we've, we've seen a, a, quite a few of them during our tour of, uh, of Rome that they were all placed in, uh, in this geometrical cross form pattern which is uh, historically untrue because of a lot of these obelisks have been moved around over time and a lot of these monuments were ordered in in different times and by different people and independent from each other and sometimes there is like 10 or 15 years between one monument and another and it wasn't Bernini who was planning where he was placing his uh, his statues often it was just the the Pope who paid who determined uh, where these statues were, were placed like uh, for instance this fountain it was the Pope who said I want to have this obelisk let, let's take it from the outskirts of Rome. Let's bring it here in the center of the Piazza Navona, uh, which used to be, by the way, a um, an arena, a, a circus, I think, of, of one of the uh, old Roman emperors. And and uh, the piazza, the, the square, still has this shape of an of an arena, um, or, or or of a stadium, I should say. Um, and so he he brought that obelisk here and 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 told Bernini, well, okay, just make this fountain and so it is not Bernini who planned all this there is no big super master plan secret code um, <laughs> might 
be a very interesting plot device and uh, and links these uh, very famous monuments together in a, in a narrative, um, and, and that is what Dan Brown is is very good at. But uh, in trying to, there's a group of teenagers and they're singing songs and clapping. Um, so uh, you know Dan Brown uh, very cleverly you know twists around all these historical. Um, uh, facts and uh, and places in order to suit his story. The, the problem that, that some people have with Dan Brown, even though everybody now knows, of course, this is all fiction, uh, is that he himself explicitly says at the beginning of, of his books uh, everything, the locations, the facts, uh, the historical events, it's all pure fact. You can trust me on that. I'm just telling a story, but everything that you'll find about uh, every, all the information that I'll give you is pure historical fact. Well, don't believe him, because that's part of the storytelling. That is part of the imaginary tale that he is uh, that he's making. So uh, that is why some people get confused and they don't know anymore. You know what is truth? What is fiction? Is there you know what? Is, there's this big gray zone of half truths and half fiction. Uh, nothing to get upset about, but it's interesting to just try to figure out uh, how, what, what is the real historical background of all these places and all these events that are mentioned in his books. And that's what I'm trying to do in this series about the secrets of angels and demons. So as I said, um, Robert Langdon now has saved the fourth cardinal and also knows where he has to go for uh, the uh, location of the antimatter bomb that is threatening to blow up the Vatican, to blow up the conclave and killing all the Catholics on St. Peter's Square and, um, and the cardinals all together. He knows that he has to go to, uh, the, uh, uh, to back to uh, in the direction of the Vatican. And uh, that is also where we will go as soon as I wrap up this show, I'm juggling around all my recording equipment and my notes and uh, the books that I'm, I've been carrying around. It makes, oops. Now I was, I was looking for my notes to give you an overview of what we will do in the next episode of The Secrets of Angels and Demons. Um, So we, we got to go back to the Vatican to, um, actually not to the Vatican itself, but near the Vatican to Castel San Angelo. Again, the angels um, are a, a major um, plot point, a major tool, a major aid. Um, they show Langdon the way, the angels. And um, in the story, Dan Brown associates Castel San Angelo with Bernini, which is not entirely accurate. And um, when we are at uh, Castel San Angelo, I will tell you why that isn't entirely correct. However, there is something in the neighborhood of Castel San Angelo that has a lot to do with Bernini. But um, you will find out what that is in the next episode of The Secrets of uh, Angels and Demons. For now, it is time to wrap it up here on Piazza Navona in the middle of this uh, very leisurely relaxed crowd and I hope you enjoy this show if so uh, consider leaving a, a review on iTunes I would really appreciate it if you would do that it helps me um, get the word out about this show 
Um, you can also rate the show. And you can find more information about the stuff that I talk about and links to, uh, I don't know, Wikipedia entries and other stuff that I can find um, on the website of the StarQuest Production Network at www.sqpn.com. So check that out and uh, tell your friends and family about this show or other people that you might know that have read the novel, or have seen the movie and want to know a little bit more about the facts and the background of uh, the events in Angels and Demons. Steer them to sqpn.com, to the secrets of angels and demons. From Rome, from Piazza Navona, I am Father Roderick saying goodbye. See you next time. And as always, take care. God bless. SQPN, leading the way in Catholic new media.